We're continuing our study in 1 Samuel. The theme of the book is found in 1 Samuel 13, 14, where God tells us that he rejects Saul as king because he doesn't have a heart for God. But he says, I've sought out a man after my own heart. And all through the book, through each chapter, we're finding various ways that God wants to develop us as people after his own heart. And the theme this morning is learning how to seek after God's heart independence. Dependence has been a theme all this morning. It's been a theme to the songs that we sang about being desperately dependent upon God. It was the theme for the offering. It was the theme for uh, Taylor and Catherine as they are heading out to the mission field afresh. We are all called to live lives of dependence. And God has ways to orchestrate circumstances and situations in our lives, including David's life, that call us to deeper dependence. March 25th, 2021, a day God ordained to develop dependence in my life, and in Laurie's life. We were supposed to experience some possible severe weather. We closed the church down after lunch. I went home to Laurie, her mom, our six adult golden retrievers, and a fresh litter of six golden retriever pups. Two horses, a cat, and a miniature mule. The farm. We watch the news, and sure enough, there's a long-track EF3 tornado heading our way. Lori and I make some plans of what we'll do if we need to head to the basement, how we're going to get the dogs down there with us, make sure Legree's with us. And on Channel 13, the news we were watching, they mention our street. If you're on Oak Mountain Trail, take cover now. We grabbed all the dogs, ran down to the basement, got huddled up in a closet, and we started feeling pressure in our ears as they began to pop. And then we felt this updraft. We thought we were going to end up like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, and the house was just going to lift off of us. And then this crushing noise of wind for about 10 seconds. Laurie screamed out in prayer, Lord, let everything that has breath survive. After 10 seconds, it was silent. And the strongest scent of pine that I'd ever had in my life. It it smelled like somebody had lit a room with a thousand pine-scented candles. It seemed like everything was great. We'd come through it fine, and we had with our lives. Laurie ran to the door to check on her horses, and she gasped. Our property was destroyed. Over $200,000 worth of damage. Laurie's horse trailer had been picked up and thrown 100 feet by the tornado, and the only thing that stopped it was it getting wrapped around a tree? 
I'd never experienced anything like that until what happened next. We went outside and we realized that all the trees, we had 60, 70-foot trees, they were like pickup sticks strewn around the yard, but most of them had been lopped off at about 30 feet. And we looked at the house, and the roof was damaged. There was a tree on the house. But, but other than that, the house was fine. And I realized in our desperate dependence, God had lifted the tornado about 30 feet off the ground. So it destroyed property, but left our house other than the roof intact. And then to my amazement, you need to know about me, is that I know nothing mechanical. I can barely change the plate on a plug or a light switch. I can almost change a light bulb. And within hours, scores of folks from this church showed up. Unasked. They didn't wait. They just came. Chainsaws tarps. They began moving trees off the house. Contractors showed up with a generator. The rest of the neighborhood didn't have power for almost a week. People bringing meals, people just weeping with us. God used that to build dependence in our lives. What is God using in your life today? Maybe it's a trial that you despise. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. But some situation in life that when you stop to think about it, God in his love is simply seeking to build desperate dependence in your life. Because he loves you. Because he knows the safest place for any of us is a place of desperate dependence. We're at the part in 1 Samuel where David's on the run. He's on the run from Saul. God said David's going to be king. Why would God allow Saul to pursue David to kill him? Well, one of the reasons is God is committed to building dependence in his children because it's the safest place for us to live. That's all standard of reverence for God's word. And follow along as I read 1 Samuel 23, 1 to 16. This is God's word. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah. For I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah 
and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to live a desperately dependent life because it is the safest place for us to live. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text, show us the parallels to our own lives. Help us to think of the trials, the struggles, what we sometimes see as annoyances that you have actually ordained to deepen dependence in our hearts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> so a couple uh, words of explanation. Uh, the, the key verse on the video this morning was verse 9, where David says, uh, bring the ephod uh, to Abiathar the priest. You need to know that, that an ephod was a priestly garment. It was like an apron. And it was made of various colors of thread, gold, purple, blue, scarlet. It was a beautiful garment. And it had a breastplate on it uh, that had some stones, uh, 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And it represented that Israel was dependent upon God's grace. That it assured Israel that, that as the, the stones with the names of the tribes of Israel were on and over the heart of the priest... So God has us in his heart forever. Now, in the breastplate, on the ephod, there were two objects. We don't know what they were. Maybe they had 
uh, words inscribed on them, but they were used to be dependent on God and seeking guidance and understanding His will. And the priest would take out the, the objects, they're called the umen and the thumum, and uh, yes and no questions were asked. Uh, it's not magic, it's definitely not black magic, it's supernatural, but you remember playing that silly uh, eight ball game uh, with the eight ball and the, the words pop up and you ask a question? Uh, well, the umum and thumum was God's true way of giving guidance, and the umum and thumum would, would somehow provide an answer uh, whether which one was chosen in the right hand or left, or we don't really know the details, but it provided guidance. David was a man that constantly cast himself in dependence upon the Lord, but not only the Lord, upon God's people, the Lord's people as well. So we're going to learn this morning uh, three elements of dependence that God wants to use to develop dependence in our lives. First of all, we develop dependence through constant prayer. Uh, you want to know how dependent you are? Take a look at your prayer life. Now, this isn't said for guilt or shame. See, the beautiful thing about the gospel is the gospel is good news for sinners. And the gospel only becomes good news to us as we acknowledge our sin, when we see our sinfulness, when we see our prayerlessness, that's when grace becomes more real. We don't sit in shame and guilt and promise to do better. We go before the Lord in our desperation, and we even depend on Him to make us into more prayerful people. We hope in the power of grace. But all through the text, David at every change of situation and circumstance, he turns to the Lord in prayer. In verse 1, he learns that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. Keilah was a border town right on the border, just in Judah, and right across the border from the Philistines. And the Philistines, the arch enemy of God and God's people, the arch enemy of David besides Saul, they were attacking Keilah. And David wanted to know, what was he supposed to do about this circumstance? Are you that dependent upon the Lord that no matter what happens, your first thought is, I need to ask God what's going on? Or are you like me? <laughs> I so often live on autopilot. Life comes at you fast, right? And I'm just making decisions. I'm just trying to decide what needs to be done. How do I need to get engaged? And there are times where I really forget that I'm desperately dependent on God, that my understanding because of my sin is darkened, and I must live in constant prayer. Now, look, I'm not talking about going and taking two hours, get on your knees in your prayer closet. I I'm talking about arrow prayers, you know, like boom, you just shoot it up to heaven. Hey, God, this is happening. I don't know what I should do. Please give me your spirit. Give me wisdom. Guide me. I trust your providence and your sovereignty. Okay, that's praying, right? But we're to be praying like that all through the day, every day, in every arena. You know where I've seen many of us drop the ball? 
We, we tend to make this sacred-secular distinction in our lives. And we pray about spiritual things, but the things we can't really see uh, are actually spiritual. Okay, God, I got this. And you know where I see it the most? Where you're, where you're most skilled. Where you have the most knowledge and most experience. I see this in your vocation. Doctors, are you praying all through the day? Or are you just getting at it with your skill and knowledge? Sales folks, are you just making calls? Got this. This is what I do. Or are you praying as you make that call? Moms and dads, as you're changing diapers, as you're going to the sport complex, as you're making dinner, are you just doing it? Or are you just breathing prayerfulness? You see, part of growing independence is developing a God awareness, a God consciousness all through the day. My aim is I wouldn't go one minute without thinking about God. Now, this isn't distracting me from what I'm doing. This is focusing me on what I'm doing. And you need to understand, I'm not talking about getting on your knees for even 15 minutes. I'm talking about, God, I have this surgery. Or I got to see this patient. Or I got to teach this class. Or I got to change this diaper. God, thank you that you're with me. And any moment can be miraculous when you're in it. So be with me, guide me, lead me, give me wisdom, give me power. Turn every moment into a holy moment. You see that? It's, it's just a God consciousness all day long. That's what we're called to. And all through the day, God is orchestrating your day to give you opportunities to be in constant prayer. So all through this passage, David is in constant prayer. Verse 2, therefore David inquired of the Lord. And then in verse 3, his men were afraid. They said, we're, we're afraid here in Judah, let alone going up against the Philistines. Now David could have said, come on, buck up. I'm David. I hear from the Lord. Everything's great. No. He said, okay, verse 4, David inquired of the Lord Again. And then in verse 9, he finds out Saul is coming to attack. And he says to the priest, Bring the ephod, bring the urim and thummim. Let me ask of the Lord what's going to happen. Will Saul come down? Verse 11. Will Keilah surrender me? And notice that God says, Yeah. Interesting. If, if you stay, God means. And David leaves. Now, we don't, we're not even told that God told David to leave, but because David was living in constant prayer, a dependent life, God said, yeah, if you stay here, Saul's going to come and get you. Yeah, if you stay here, the men of Keilah are going to surrender you up. So prayerfulness is what we need to make good decisions, to be wise, to walk with God. 
Now, contrast David's dependence in constant prayer with Saul's presumption by trusting in his own thoughts. And again, I want you to think of yourself. Are you praying all through the day short, shooting arrows to heaven prayers? Or are you just going through your day? Look, if, if you're getting up at 8.30 in the morning having a quiet time, and then you're going through your day, and then you come home, watch TV, and go to bed, and the only time you thought about God and prayed was during your quiet time, you're not living a life of constant dependence. I'm not shaming you. I'm telling you this is where you need to grow in grace. This is where you need the gospel. God wants to walk through the day with you like your best friend, and he wants constant discourse constant conversation all day long, unceasing. See, this is what Paul means when he says pray unceasingly. He's not saying quit your job, be a hermit, and pray all day. No. Let all day long be filled with conversations that last three seconds at a time. Sometimes it's God help. Okay, I'm going now. But look at Saul. Verse 7, it was told Saul that David came to Keilah. And then notice Saul just acts with presumption. The Lord has given David into my hand. <laughs> and yet, how often have we done that? Just make a presumptive statement in our minds. Presumptive choices. See, Saul didn't inquire of the Lord. How about you? How many times have we failed to inquire of God throughout the day? In areas where we think, well, that's not really spiritual. Folks, remember, all of life is spiritual. I don't care what you're doing. Everything is spiritual. Everything requires constant prayer. You cannot come up with any situation ever that is not a holy moment where God doesn't want to enter into deep discourse with you. Now, David had the umum and thumum. What do we have? We have something better. We have the Word of God. And as we pray, it's amazing how the more the Word we have in our hearts, the more God's Word bubbles up when we cry out in prayer. Brother Lawrence lived in the 17th century. He was uneducated. He was a layman, and he wanted to go to the monastery just to serve. He was a cook in his earlier life, and then his later life, because he had gout and couldn't stand anymore, couldn't cook anymore, he, he made and repaired sandals. And he's written a book that's one of the all-time classics in the Christian world. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And all day long, as Brother Lawrence was peeling potatoes, or cutting up carrots, or making stew, or making sandals, or repairing sandals, all day long, while he did everything, excellent work and engaged in conversations. People would come from miles around to talk to Brother Lawrence. 
He just constantly shot up arrow prayers. He was in a constant conversation with God. Does that seem beyond your grasp? I'm here to tell you it's not. The Lord has brought me so far from when I was first converted. And I have so far to go. But I really can begin to understand how Brother Lawrence lived. And you can go in dependence like that as well. Develop dependence through constant prayer. Secondly, develop dependence through spirit-filled humility. Now, I say spirit-filled because one of the first elements of humility is you, you and I don't have it. And the second characteristic of humility is not only do we know we don't have it, we also know we can't form it. So that's why it's spirit-filled humility. We don't have it, and we can't create it. We're absolutely dependent on God to build it into our lives. And I go back to verses 3 and 4 again. David's men are afraid, and David responds in humility. David could have responded with a heavy hand. David could have said, I'm the leader. We're going to do this. Stop your whining. But David, like Jesus, considers the needs of his men more important than his own. But also, David in humility wants to go back to the Lord and say, okay, this is a new development. My men are afraid. Maybe God is adjusting what he wants me to do. Maybe there's a different way he wants me to do it, to bring the victory. So in humility, he calls out to God again. And notice the answer in verse 4 is different than the answer in verse 2. In verse 2, God answers by saying, go and save Keilah. In verse 4, when the men are afraid, God adds more to his answer. And he says, arise, go, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. See that change? Verse 2, go, save Keilah. It'd be possible to be self-reliant, self-sufficient. You ever had an assignment, an operation of some kind, whether it's military or law enforcement or surgical or something had to do with the corporate world? Go, do it. Yeah. But are you hearing God saying, arise, go, for I will do it through you? completely different frame of mind. And others will experience you differently as well. You see, David and his men needed to be reminded the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. And that's true of every single arena of your life. Anytime you live in arrogance, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance, you fail even when you succeed. You fail even when you succeed. The world may give you accolades and adulation, but if we're not living in humility, we're not bringing honor to God. We're bringing honor to ourselves. So we seek a humility from the Holy Spirit that he forms in our lives. Now again, contrast David's humble heart with Saul's arrogant heart. Saul sees circumstances in verse 7, 
David shut in in Keilah. There's something about Keilah that it was like a bird in a cage. David was trapped. Saul saw this as an opportunity. But he didn't go to God. He didn't say, God, am I supposed to go and attack David? Because God would have surely said, no, you're not supposed to go and attack David. How many times do you look at circumstances, survey the situation, and just draw your own conclusions? That's not humility. That's arrogance. And as human beings, because of the fall, we are prone to arrogance. You got to make a quote for your engineering form, firm. Do you, do you sit down in humility and say, oh, God, I need you? Even, even though you know you have the skill. See, humility says, I know I have the skill, Lord, but unless you're with me, it's not going to honor you. Unless you're with me, there's no humility in my life. I had this happen to me yesterday, actually. Many of you know I've uh, had a prayer group that meets on Wednesday mornings at 6 and Saturday mornings at 7 for 34 years. And yesterday, for the first time in as long as I can remember, I was the only one that showed up. It's really weird. So I had an opportunity just to continue praying. And you know what I did? I thought, okay, I get to work on my sermon a little bit longer this morning. Where's my humility? I didn't take the time to humble myself in the Lord. I even wondered, God, are you going to bless the sermon this morning? And God gave me another lesson in grace. Um, but the point is, I'm preparing a sermon on dependence. <laughs> Do you see the irony of this? I'm preparing a sermon on dependence. And I have an opportunity to really show humility and dependence. And I just get to work. You see, it can happen in ministry too. Then in verse 8, Saul summons all the people to war. Saul is putting other people at risk because he wasn't a humble man. And how many times we have put other people at risk because we failed to live in humility. What's interesting is Paul, Saul ends up mustering uh, about 200,000 men. We know this from other places. 200,000 men against 600. Now, I want you to see that's a lack of humility. 200,000? You don't muster 200,000 men against 600 unless you're trusting in yourself. What areas of life do you find yourself more trusting in yourself than humbling yourself before God. Several times in Scripture, we read these words. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. David humbled himself, and God went with him. Saul lived in arrogance, and God opposed him. Even the way David prays. Look at verses 10 and 11. O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard Saul seeks to come after me. David got down on his knees, at least in his heart. 
and humbled himself. You're the great God. I am your servant. You see, that's the quickest formula for humility as we trust in the Spirit to develop it. High view of God. Big view of God. Low view of humanity. Small view of humanity. Big God, little man. Formula for humility. How big is your God? And how big are you? Jack Miller wrote several books on the gospel of grace. And he said in one book, live low because grace always runs downhill to the Christian humbled on the knees of their heart. Develop dependence through spirit-filled humility, through constant prayer, and then thirdly, develop dependence through Christ-centered community. There's three elements of community in this passage. David is in community with his men, the 600. He's in community with Abiathar, the priest who brings the ephod. And he's also in community with Jonathan. Verse 5, David and his men went to Keilah. David was dependent on the Lord ultimately, but he also realized he needed community as well. David couldn't play his part, and David knew he couldn't play his part unless he was connected to community. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you cannot and will not be effective to play your part in God's story apart from you being connected to community? It's a truth. It's part humility just to believe that truth. And then in verse 14, we're told that David remained in the stronghold. Who was with him? The 600, his men. Saul had hundreds of thousands and lived in isolation. Do you get the principle there? You can be surrounded by people and still be isolated. You can be in the midst of groups and not live in community. And then there's the priest. Look at verse 9. He said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. David realized he was only one member of the body of Christ. Do you realize that you're just one member of the body of Christ? God has not given you on purpose everything you need to live your life. Do you realize that? He purposely has left you without a bunch of resources. Why would he do that? Because he is bound and determined to raise dependent kids. He has written dependence into the very fabric of our daily lives. You cannot walk with God in isolation. You can't. And if you think you are, you're deceived. God has made it so it is impossible to walk with God apart from dependence upon others. And then lastly, God sends Jonathan. You don't just need to be a part of the body of Christ. You need those close friends that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. God sent Jonathan. Look what Jonathan did in verse 16. He strengthened his hand in God. You see, we even need others to point us to the need for constant prayer. We need others to point us to the need for living in humility. We need others to point us to the need to live in community. 
We can't even do what develops dependence apart from being dependent on God, and we need people to help call us to be dependent. What do you think successful parenting is? You know what I've heard people say? That you want to disciple your kids and raise your kids to teach them enough so they can live responsibly on their own. Really? You want to raise your kids to learn to be independent? Well, sure. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that a successful parent? No. No, successful parenting is raising children in such a way that they realize how they have been dependent upon you. And you've been used of God to disciple them so that when they leave the home, they realize they're simply shifting their dependence on you to their dependence on God. As a matter of fact, we want to raise our kids to feel more dependent, not less. Less independent, not more. Not dependent on us, but dependent upon the Lord. Successful parents know this, and God is the infinitely successful Father. And he is aiming to develop dependence in our lives. Will you embrace that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I just love reading 1 Samuel, reading about David, learning how he was a man after your own heart. And Lord, we want to be people after your own heart. And Lord, we want to live in dependence. So enable us to do that. God, remind us, first of all, to depend solely on Christ and His finished work on the cross, on the gospel. And then, Lord, help us to live daily dependent lives through constant prayer and humility and community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear the benediction, the promise of God's love, favor on our lives, calling us to a life of absolute dependence. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba Father, and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.